When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. From the hinterlands concealed by fog, this is an interview series about the unknown and our relationship to it. Here we commune and wander through the big wonder with guests who are thinkers, explorers, experiencers of the phenomena that is on the edge of it all. This is Night Drift, and I'm Jim Perry. Tonight, guest paranormal investigator Jason Hewlett will talk to us about his work and his project, We Want to Believe, that is described as a paranormal reality show that takes an un-Hollywood approach to the pseudoscience of paranormal investigation. Uh, Listen, I'm just really excited to chat about what appears to be a very deliberate approach to presentation. I love it. We'll jump into that conversation here in a few seconds, but I just wanted to let you know that you can weigh in on the conversation tonight. Email me, jim, at euphemet.com, and use hashtag nightdrift on Twitter. You can also send me a voice message. Go to sayhi.chat slash euphemet, or find the link in the show notes. Jason Hewlett is a journalist, broadcaster, and podcaster with a degree in filmmaking and film studies. A lifelong interest in the paranormal led him to join Vancouver Paranormal Society in 2017, where he was a lead investigator and society director until 2020, when he and colleague Peter Wren launched the Canadian Paranormal Foundation. He's the writer, director, and co-creator of the award-winning paranormal reality series We Want to Believe, and narrator for The UFO Show, both of which are on the Paranormal Network. In 2020, Jason and Peter Wren co-authored the best-selling book, I Want to Believe, One Man's Journey into the Paranormal, which highlights Peter's career as a paranormal investigator. And Jason, uh, quite the investigator himself. Jason, welcome to Night Drift. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Jim. I'm very excited to be here. As we chatted a little bit before we went live here, you're coming to us from Vancouver, BC, a fellow Pacific Northwesterner, and I love that. Is, is, isn't it just the best part of the world that we live in, Jim? Yeah, so let's talk about it for a second. I, I am wondering if the atmosphere here, right, especially this season as we start to embrace the gloom again, does this atmosphere here in the Pacific Northwest inspire your work in the paranormal at all? I think it's just, it's very fitting, <laughs> you know, especially as we, <laughs> like you say, we get to the Halloween season, the leaves have turned. Uh, the weather starts to turn, you know, it could rain, it can rain quite a bit through here in the wintertime, as I'm sure you're well aware, down where you are as well. Uh, it just, it makes it just kind of moody, naturally moody, I guess. And it yeah. just puts you in that spirit, right? For lack of a better term. Absolutely. <laughs> season. Yeah, it's it's not hard to get into the vibe, right? And it's great for editing. So if you're a filmmaker like yourself or you're a writer, boy, it just gives you all the opportunity in the world to stay inside and just work on spooky stuff. It does. Yeah. And it, it's kind of, we, I mean, we investigate all year round, obviously, and, and we shoot, we want to believe all year round, but there's something about just doing the work at this time of year that just gives it that just a little more. I maybe it's because I, I love horror movies and I, I read horror novels, but it almost gives it that kind of feel, <laughs> even though the paranormal <laughs> right. is the exact opposite of horror, really, right. <laughs> for the right. most part. Yeah. 
So, yeah. so when someone asks, how would you describe what you do in paranormal? I just, I'm a, I guess, a skeptical believer, uh, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. My colleague Peter is too. That's why he and I have vibed so well. Like, like you know, and like the show's called, like, We Want to Believe, right? And, and we've seen enough over our years of doing this. I mean, combined, Peter and I probably have more than 50 years' experience. Um, you, you, you see enough to convince you that there is more going on out there. But we, we try to approach each each investigation and each moment in an investigation with a bit of a skeptical eye. We don't want to believe by being duped into it. We want to yeah. come with as close to evidence as you could present in a court of law as you can find, which I know is very difficult given this line of work. Right. Yeah. But it also gets even more difficult when uh, you allow yourself to believe anything is possible. And why not? And then it's like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe we just need to take one step, you know, in one step out of this stuff, which I, I completely agree with. And I think is a, a really healthy way to, to, to move through this phenomenon, right? Especially if you're uh, around it or investigating for a long time. But listen, I think maybe it's also the healthiest way when you're producing content, when you're producing films, when you're writing about the subject to create a little context for your audience, right? Is there a part of your, you know, uh, your career as a filmmaker, uh, your background in studying that, that you found is, is, um, lends itself to paranormal investigation or is more challenging or do you feel like you found like that perfect uh uh muse for filmmaking within the paranormal well that's a really good question um i come like you know with the film background i also come from a writing background like i was a, a journalist a newspaper reporter for 10 years okay primarily on the crime beat um oh wow yeah, so it's, it was just very different. And, and, and as a journalist, you can't talk about this stuff at all. Like you can't, you'll lose your credibility, at least back when I did it, right. which is 2003 to 2014. Um, but I think that experience of being a journalist really helped mold an, an investigative style. Um, so from the writing standpoint, and for someone who goes and talks to people about this and tries to, you know, learn their experiences and tell their stories, it really helped in terms of asking questions. And I think building a narrative out of reality as opposed to, you know, crafting a fiction. Sure. Um, with, with sort of, we want to believe in being the filmmaker side of it. I mean, I, you know, I, I did film school in the nineties where, where there were none of this technology existed. Right. And it was like, you know, thousands of bucks to, to, to shoot and process eight minutes of actual film. Sure. You know, and then you had to slowly edit it together. And if those eight minutes didn't turn out, you were screwed. You had to do it all over again. <laughs> um, this new digital technology, I think, really make, lends itself to this sort of documentary style that, that we do on We Want to Believe. And as a filmmaker, I like that. It's it's really easy just to grab. You, you just grab your gear and go shoot, um, yeah. which is what we do on the show. We do. We film our investigations as they happen and afterwards build it back into kind of a story that still depicts realistically what what went on without you know the bells and whistles. So I, I like the YouTube formats really worked well in that regard as being able to present it my way without interference from other sources that might want to um, change things, make it a little more flashy, add mm. scares, which network TV, I think just that's the way it goes, you know, love it or hate it. There's, there's a demand meant, whereas on a YouTube channel, you can just put out what you've done as it's happened. And I really appreciate that. So I kind of marries the film side of it. And then the storytelling, interviewing, researching side of things really nicely. So I think this is the become the perfect storm to do this kind of work for me. And, you know, what kind of led you to this point? I mean, I've read, and I think I even maybe described that you've always had an interest in the paranormal, but um, obviously that interest is, uh, (laughs) is not just an interest. Uh, There is a drive seemingly uh, that either artistically or investigatory, uh, maybe personally, you are driven to, to, to capture these stories, to capture these experiences in a very similar way that probably I am. But how would you describe that? How would you describe that relationship to, to how you found yourself in this space within the paranormal and what led you here? Well, it's, fun. it's, it's funny. I mean, everyone I think that investigates this has things that happen as they're a kid mm. that they can't explain. Um, you know, and I think I was a bit, I'm, I'm very empathic. So I think I, I, I was scared of the dark longer than a lot of kids because I, I mm. just would feel sometimes that there's something there that yeah. you can't see. And it, was, it wasn't an irrational fear. Um, it was natural. 
Uh, and so I've had that all my life and I've had experiences happen to me all my life. And it's just kind of, so I was always interested in it and I would kind of do it in an amateurish, amateurish as an amateur, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not knowing sure. what I was doing for quite a long time. And then it was literally like, you know, I, I would do my own investigations. I'd do my bits of research and the interest would ebb and flow. And then um, in 2003, when I went back to university and was in journalism school, we had a whole, I did a magazine writing class and I had a whole month to write one magazine article, which is amazing to have like, you know, all that time. <laughs> and so I decided I wanted to write for the 40 and times. And so I got together a group of people and we have a place here where I live where I grew up called Tronquil Sanitarium. And it's like all of those sanitariums. It was deinstitutionalized in the eighties. All the patients were let go and it has stories attached to it. It's got a lot of local urban legends. So I did a paranormal investigation. I found someone who had video cameras. I found someone who claimed they had an experience out there. I found a friend of mine who was a skeptic who knew someone who was a psychic and we went and spent the night. And that was the first time I really investigated and documented what we found and then put it into some sort of narrative form in terms of a magazine article. Hmm. And that was a big stepping stone towards this. Um, The next was literally five years ago, about this time. Uh, My son was was about four or five at the time. I got up with him one Saturday morning. He was watching cartoons. I was surfing the web and was just searching the paranormal out. And I found Vancouver Paranormal Society and they were doing a membership drive. And I applied. (laughs) That's literally, I was brought on to do a (laughs) test investigation. That's kind of how I met Peter and the crew. And it just sort of went from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Until just 2019 when Peter and I, he was always living away from where I lived, like down at, you know, at the coast or up in Kitimat, which is up in Northern BC. Okay. He'd come yeah. down to Kamloops and we decided to go investigating together. And it was the first time we had literally investigated together and we hit it off and we had great luck that night in terms of, you know, capturing some EVPs and having some personal experiences and that just led to wanting to do more together, um, which led to the talk of doing a podcast, which because I knew people in the film industry that they said, don't do a podcast, do something for YouTube. And it just spiraled from there until we're now here. <laughs> you know, and I've done yeah. three books on this show and managing the paranormal network for Joe Blow Media. Yeah. Oh, that's great, man. I mean, if you can, let's go back to 2017 for a second. Sure. And do you remember what made you take that step to, to find community? by by joining you know by joining the paranormal society as you did was there something was there a need that you found uh that like oh i did this thing a few years ago and i really you know i missed that or what was it personally for you that made you take that next step yeah that's a great question because it's one of those i i wasn't sure what was going on at the time it was literally like you know it's saturday morning you're up early drinking a coffee. And I was always interested, you know, like I said, I've always been fascinated by it. So I'd, you know, kind of just been dabbled off and on in terms of reading a bit more at the time. You know, I like watching those shows, the shows on TV, but I always knew they were kind of BS, you know? And and it was just like, I found this group just randomly that was like, they actually do this stuff. And they were looking and they have an, they had an, you know, an interior chapter because I was living in the interior. And I just thought, you know, well, why not? What could it hurt? It, It almost, it was like that, just fate decided at that moment that it was the right time, you know, and I, yeah. I've learned to listen to that, that thing in your head, that voice in your head that says, this is the time to do it. Like, just do it. If you don't do it now, it's not going to happen. Right. And so I sent the email in and that's happened to me many times in life, which is certain, you know, I don't know if it's like just an instinct that you learn to listen to that as a journalist, you kind of hone that instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's what leads you to finding the right sources and the right interviews and just writing the best lead to get it read and end up on the front page. So it was just that. And I mean, and obviously that I was supposed to do that because look where it led afterwards. Well, you know, some people may say that that is, uh, maybe that's empathy. Maybe that's em- it being empathic, right? That, that That's maybe another term for that instinct. And uh, you just happen to, you know, sort of be able to turn those wires back towards yourself, that empathic ability. And then maybe that's how you found where you're going to go next. That sounds great. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to, um, here I am just making narrative out of you. Um, listen, we're going to take a break real quick. This is Night Drift on 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle and worldwide at nightdrift.com. We'll be right back with Jason Hewlett after this. When in the springtime of the year 
follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I've been drifting on the sea of heartbreak Trying to get myself ashore for so long For so long Listening to the strangest stories Wondering where it all went wrong For so long For so long to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. This is Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. I wanted to let you guys know that we've introduced a new perk for Euphemet patrons. It's an ad-free Euphemet podcast feed, and you can use it wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to euphemet.com and just click the top banner to become a patron and unlock ad-free shows and also access the occasional hangout. We'll be doing one of those again fairly soon as I look forward to connecting with you all again. It's uh, it's overdue. But our guest tonight, their new web series, We Want to Believe, chronicles investigations by writer-director investigator Jason Hewlett, paranormal investigator Peter Wren, and their team as they tackle hauntings, spectral encounters, Bigfoot, UFO sightings, and other high strangeness. No false evidence, no camera tricks or special effects. Jason, thanks again for joining us on Night Drift. Oh, I'm excited to be here, Jim. Thank you. So I, I, let's talk about this description for a minute. Uh, in addition to the, the one that opened the show, it, it feels as if you're implying you guys have experienced or are aware of, I don't know, production trickery as it pertains <laughs> to typical DV ghost shows. So, <laughs> so, you know, what is your experience with this? And, and, you know, uh, if you don't want to answer that directly, why do you feel it important right now to highlight that difference in what you're doing just right within the description of the show? Well, no, I, I, to address that, it's um, like, like I said, Peter, my colleague, Peter, um, he's been doing this like a good 30 years all over the world. And he's been approached by like, you know, Netflix and other networks to, to be on ghost hunting shows. Sure. And he's always turned them down. He was a member of TAPS. And of course, TAPS, you know, with Jason Hawes and, and Ghost Hunters, uh, that show, which kind of really kicked off the whole fad of this kind of programming. He, he's seen and an, an experienced what goes on behind the scenes of these shows. Mm. and during and if you read and like if you read it up like you know paranormal state was a show i really enjoyed but you heard stories about you know faking evidence for cameras etc um and when peter and i first started investigating together one of our first cases we went on before that we were supposed to meet with some alleged tv producers who were interested in what we were doing and this is like you know right out the gate of me doing this and peter knew i had a media background and had a film background he wanted me to come along well these people were just they didn't know what they were doing um, we didn't want to have anything to do with them. It would be a complete disaster. But I mentioned to Peter, well, why don't we do a podcast? Because then you have control over the podcast, right? You can do whatever you want. And we could present paranormal investigations as they are. You're and Peter speaking said, my language. Right? And and that's that's what Peter wanted. So we did a podcast. We recorded, uh, you know, when you're at an investigation, you're recording audio anyways. And we put it into this podcast format. And I put it out there. And to help promote it at the location where we were investigating, I just did like a quick Facebook live video talking about what we were doing. Um, I have a friend named John Fallon who runs Arrow in the Head, 
which is one of the biggest horror movie entertainment websites on the web. And that's part of the Joe Blow movie network. And they're like one of the first websites that started creating um, entertainment movie content um, in terms of reporting on movies, going and doing set visits. And they were launching a YouTube channel. And he's like, Jay, your video was great. I showed it to Verge Garabedian, who's like runs Joe Blow. He loves it. Why would you do a podcast? Instead, do a video series, a YouTube series. I took it to Peter and Peter said, sure, but it's got to be our vision of presenting it as is, not 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 staging anything, not faking anything. And that kind of became the mantra. And, and we want to believe started on a what was more of a horror channel. And then just, they decided to create the Paranormal Network, which was strictly paranormal content where we had complete control over what we were doing. And that's always been the mantra because these other shows present things. People believe what they watch on TV. And so a lot of these ghost hunting shows aren't accurately showing what's going on. And they're, I don't think they're doing it to be evil or out of malice. It's like, you've got a, you've got a TV show and you need to deliver the goods, right? Um, as ghost hunters, we go to many investigations where nothing happens all night. And if you have a television show about that, networks don't want it on, people are going to turn it off. And so I think there's this pressure to create that, but we decided we're going to ignore the pressure and show things as they actually are. And I mean, our, our first several episodes, maybe an EVP or two we put in, but we just showed what an investigation is like. And we decided that has to be the way that this is done to kind of show people the reality of paranormal investigation as opposed to even it's being called a reality show, like shows like ghost adventures aren't reality. They're, they're making up a story to go along with this. And that's just not what we're about. And I think it hurts the field of paranormal investigation that so many people watch these shows and take them as they are, um, which, but they're yeah. not realistically depicting what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only guy out there who, I, when I watch his stuff that I, I, I think is taking it seriously. Well, I mean, they'll take it seriously, but I think Nick Groff is someone whose his credibility is really good. Um, and and I, I really appreciate what he does. He seems out of all of them, the most grounded in what the profession is. So. Do you feel like you've been able to um, experience that, that building of community around your work in a way that feels natural, in a way that people are seeing what you're doing, seeing your approach and going, hey, I appreciate you attempting to be authentic in this way. Yeah, that's that's the one big bit of feedback we get from everybody that sees it. I mean, we might not be generating you know 10 million views a show, but people who watch it, especially people who are paranormal investigators, really appreciate the approach. And people who are serious about the paranormal really appreciate that approach. I mean, I think the average viewer, they just want to see ghosts. That's why, like, you know, those 30-second quote-unquote ghost videos on TikTok go over so big. Sure. Um, right? But people who are serious about this stuff and want to actually see this pseudoscience move into the realm of science and be taken seriously by the likes, you know, of Neil deGrasse Tyson – they believe it needs to be shown as accurately as possible. And they really appreciate that that's what we're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyone staying awake at night trying to worry about Neil deGrasse Tyson, they better just take some melatonin or something. Um, right. Listen, <laughs> so, so, so speaking of these investigations in the show, let, do you mind if we go into a little bit of, uh, of, of what you found there and some of these investigations and, and maybe if we could start with the, the ghost stories of Barkerville, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. The Barkerville um, was interesting. It's, it's an old gold rush town in British Columbia. Um, and it's like 125 buildings plus there's probably more than that. Um, and they've preserved the, the whole town as, as it was, uh, back in the day. And there are lots of stories, almost like a story, a building wow. attached with this. Right. Um, if you really want to dig. So we last fall had the luck of being able to get access to the site for a weekend. And so we drove up on a Friday and we spent all day touring, learning the stories and investigating. And then we had to come back. <laughs> on the Sunday. So we crammed a lot into one day. Um, wow. And so the first episode of Barkerville, which is came out of last month, is kind of the lead up. We started a bit of investigating and learning the stories. And the second episode that's coming out here in a couple of weeks time is kind of more of the findings on the YouTube. We kind of do it always usually in two parts. Oh, cool. But I mean, we, we had a, a guide named Michelle who, who's worked up there for years. And then she was mentioning how she always goes by the old post office and it always feels like there's someone inside watching her when mm. she goes by um 
there's you know people the building the the Barkerville Hotel, lots of stories about people seeing apparitions. Um, there's the cemetery. I mean, there's so much stuff there, Jim. It, it, it's overwhelming even to try to talk about it. Yeah, and, and to be there trying to chronicle it and and do it justice was a real undertaking, actually. Yeah, right. Well, and I understand the town has a pretty big historical significance, right? Yeah, it was like the the big. You know how they always talk about the gold rush down in California, and it's hitting it big. That was where the the BC arm of that really took off. Oh, gotcha. Um, and found some of the biggest gold gold deposits in the West, in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, the, there's a Chinatown there, and decisions made at sort of the Chinese Masonic Hall had influence back on the the revolutions that were going on in China. You know, in the late 1800s. Sure. Kind of thing as well. So tons of history, um, and we basically picked four locations that we hoped you know, would prove fruitful <laughs> and investigated them. And we were lucky enough. They let us set up our cameras overnight, like, like our motion activated cameras um, without giving too much away. We got a couple very compelling photographs that went off while we were off site. And the only people who were there were security staff, but we set up the cameras in certain locations where if you were going to enter the building and someone's trying to do something, we get shots of them coming in through the door or they're on either end of a hallway so you'd have to come up a flight of stairs into it. If someone was going to tamper, we would see get footage of them doing that. And we did. Yeah, right. Uh, oh, that's a, that's amazing. That was, that was very amazing. And we got a very good EVP um, who our guide Michelle identified as a, a gentleman who had passed away, who was a, one of the dramatic recreationists on site. Oh, wow. Um, who played a character, Judge Bigby, who was like the hanging judge who had traveled around British Columbia. And when he'd be in character, he'd always tell the, the, um, the people, the tourists who were coming up, he'd be like, you know, go away, get away kind of thing. He's at the courthouse putting on a show. And the EVP we got was, you know, go away in his voice. Unreal. Um, really interesting. Yeah. And oh Michelle was able gosh. to hear that and be like, oh my God, like that's, that's, that's so-and-so. I don't want to give the name out. It comes out in the episode, but I don't I want mean, to kind of push my luck. Now. Could you imagine that you spend your life and, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're working at this place, you're playing a character right? It's not really you yet in the afterlife. That's where you still are. And you're out of time in like two different ways at that point in time. You're mm-hmm. not of that time that you're actually representing as a spectral entity. And you're not of that time that you are haunting or present. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that wild? <laughs> like... <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Yeah, it, is it that, blows your mind. You is know? that an authentic cowboy at the OK Corral, or was that one of the guys at the noon show right. that is just still sticking around? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it, wow. it was it was incredible. But just getting Michelle's reaction to it, like and the look on her face, we have that on film. Yeah, because um, we filmed her listening to it and then having her tell the story after it was just it, it's one of those rewarding moments. Yeah, like it, it's a very personal moment. It's a very touching moment, and then you've also got something that is compelling in terms of the work that we do let's talk about those moments a little bit let's um if you indulge me let's unwrap that a little bit sure you know i would probably qualify myself qualify myself potentially as a skeptical believer as well and so i'm 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 asking you this out of a little bit of shared experience probably you considering yourself being a skeptical believer as well when you when you receive those bits of evidence that feel too good to be true or that um, are just stunning, right? Or are just leading you to believe that something could have happened there or holy crap, I can't believe we got that. How does that, how does that feeling, um, how do you work through that feeling? What does that moment feel like to you? It's, I mean, it, it's amazing. Like, it, yeah, there, there's moments when, you know, um, especially using a device like a spirit box and you're kind of getting all this, this stuff coming at you where you can almost like you, you, you hear something, but then you question it. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, ah, but did I really hear that? Or did I want to hear that? Um, so doing this kind of stuff, you kind of know when you're having that moment. And then with something though, like this, which was an EVP. So we're not using anything. It's strictly just us talking in an empty old courthouse with a digital recorder running and it was raining outside. So it's very, that's perfect white noise. You know what I mean? Mm, Cause mm-hmm, it drowns mm-hmm. everything out. And to hear this voice comes through, that's not anyone's voice that's there. 
saying something associated with a person who played a character like that. There's just no way around that. Like that, it's, and that's a moment where you're just like, yeah, I can't, there's no way that that was, you can't refute that. You can't debunk that. That's a genuine moment. Yeah. Um, and they are so few and far between, but th those are the moments that keep you coming back and doing this <laughs> over and over again, because when they happen, you just go, yep. <laughs> uh -huh. you, know, you just yep that's yeah. that's it yeah i've had stuff where i've fooled myself before when i'm listening to to some stuff but there's no way you know that this was anything but that person or that that memory i guess for lack of a better word of that person yeah. coming back well you, it's really fascinating how you frame that and that's why i love i've started to begin asking people that question about like what was their quality of feeling when when they have these experiences that sort of reawaken that like or confirm oh that's why i'm out here for you know uh 12 hours in the pitch black in this cold cement room right mm -hmm. uh w waiting for a whisper um here here i am this is why i did this and you know i, I read this book recently called they speak with other tongues by an author john l Sherrill, and he had what he would qualify as a miracle and this miracle allowed him to essentially, he thinks, maybe even see God. And this was him as like not a religious person having this vision and it changing his life fundamentally. And it's not too disparate of a reaction to some that experience the phenomena. And it spins them out and completely changes their life. And... He had, he had another person that he was sharing this with. He came to them later on and said, listen, I find this feeling is kind of fading. It's kind of like I've forgotten what that experience was for me. And she said, listen, that's where faith comes in. That's where uh, we just believe until something happens again. Now, what I find fascinating is I never, I've never heard sort of like organized religion or, or Christianity like described in that sort of sense that you get hit with that godlike, oh my gosh moment. Then there's a like sort of a forgetting and you just hold on until you have it again. But holy crap, that sounds a lot like paranormal investigation sometimes too, doesn't it? It's exactly <laughs> the same, I think. And it is that like you just... Because you have this moment and no one can take that away from you. Yeah. Right? Nobody can. And even if you present, say, this with a bit of audio evidence to someone else and they just blow it off. I always look at people who blow it off as they don't, they're just scared to believe it. Um, yeah. And you could, you know, I could be standing in a room with a, with a bunch of skeptics. Something could come in, pick me up and throw me across the room. No one will see it. And they'll just be like, ah, it's the wind. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's just how, how people like that think, which is unfortunate. I think it's just born out of fear of the unknown. Um, but when you have these moments, like like that EVP, and I've had others in my life, you're just like, I know exactly what happened. No one can take that away from me. And yeah, you do. It, it does wear off, and you can get very discouraged sometimes. But you, then you have another one. Maybe it's a year or two later, and that rekindles that in, interest. But that is what being an that's what investigating this stuff is. It's it's such an you do it almost on a a faith, um, and that faith is what carries you to keep going because you have these individual little experiences, and it's. It's as powerful, I think, as any kind of, like you pointed out, like a religious belief. It's as powerful as anything like that. Yeah. Uh, it's just different. Wow. Well said. And I guarantee there's someone listening to this right now that is in that state of waiting or forgetting and hoping that they have another experience, hoping that maybe they have a synchronicity hoping that they maybe see a glint somewhere in the darkness that looks like something strange they can't explain. And hopefully maybe this broadcast and this conversation is reminding them, hey, just hold on. <laughs> exactly, just a little longer, because I think if you are open enough to this happening, sooner or later it does. All right, we have to take a short break here on Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. We'll be right back here with more on Night Drift.
Drifting deeper into the night, Jim Perry is taking your calls at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW-5569. special access to Night Drift, presented by Euphemet, with your host, Jim Perry. I'm Jim Perry, and this is Night Drift. We're talking to paranormal investigator Jason Hewlett. Jason Hewlett, welcome back to Night Drift. Thank you so much for having me on, Jim. This is great. Yeah, man. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this book and about, I, I guess, Peter's journey into the paranormal. Yeah, it's about Peter. Um, and because, like I mentioned earlier, he's been doing this, you know, for 30 years all over the world. He's from England. And the book came about like kind of like the show by accident. We were on um, Into the Fray podcast oh, great. hosted by Shannon Legros. My old um, friend, Shannon Legros. She's awesome. Uh, yeah. Shannon, Shannon's great. She's become a good friend of mine, too. Um, and we were we were pimping, basically, for lack of a better word, we want to believe. It had just come out. Mm-hmm. And Peter was on and he was telling some of his stories because Shannon's obviously really good at that, right? Like getting you yeah. to share your stories and everything. And she's like, and she had just launched Beyond the Fray Publishing with yeah. G. Michael Hoff. Mm-hmm. And so on the show, she's like, oh, Peter, you should write a book about your, you know, your life and your experiences. And Peter's like, oh, yeah, I don't really have time, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sitting there like the former newspaper guy going, I could write that book. I could totally write that book. <laughs> Um, so after we got off the show, I, I texted Shannon and I'm like, are you serious? If, if Peter could get that book together and she's like, oh yeah, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. So I, I, same thing as we want to believe I went and talked to Peter about it and I convinced him it was a good <laughs> idea. Um, and he was on board. And so this was like right at you know, early 2020. So it was right at kind of the start of the pandemic. So we had nothing much else to do except sit down. And I interviewed Peter over the course of three, four months and wrote his wrote his story basically and it came out it right before christmas of 2020 through beyond the fray um oh, and it was awesome. A, it was awesome yeah it was it was a lot of fun to write it was great to share peter's story we worked in a bit of our experiences too and then the started we want to believe and it led to two more books through beyond the fray um but that first one there's something always special about that first book that you write you've something you talk, i talked about writing a book my whole life and it was just neat to finally do that, even though it wasn't what I anticipated it, it would be. It was, you know, a true, true story paranormal book. Yeah, right. Again, I guess I, I would love to hear your thoughts about your relationship with Peter Wren a little bit more. And and obviously that's a, a very important part of your process and and your work, right? Um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, yeah, it, it's one of those things like, you know, like I met Peter, like we talked when we when I first joined um, Vancouver Paranormal, we sort of talked on the phone, et cetera, to work out. And he was supposed to come along with me to, you know, the, my first investigation, but he had been waiting 10 years for a liver transplant and mm. uh, he got really sick, right? Right. When that investigation was supposed to happen. And 
I didn't get to meet him. And, you know, he had his transplant and fortunately everything worked out. So we never sat down face to face for about two years after we actually met about a year and a half till after we met when he'd, he'd moved to move to Kamloops here and we just hit it off. Right. And he's like, well, do you want to come out and investigate with me? He was going to, that's the whole thing. He was going to go to a place called Bailey house. And that's where he was going to meet the TV producers. You know, and he's like, I'm going to go like next Saturday if you want to come. And I'm like, yeah, cause we hadn't actually investigated together. Um, and I'd sort of stepped away from investigating at that point. And like I said, we hit it off and it it's become like a really good friendship. He's one of my best friends and we work really well together. Like we wouldn't be able to write a book or work on this show, you know, and plan these, work on these investigations and go to these places if we didn't vibe really well. Like we've never yeah. had, we have differences of opinion, but we've never had like an argument. Like we can talk through anything mm -hmm. and we, we both keep each other grounded while we also get excited while doing investigations <laughs> and stuff. And you need that. Like we both have a pretty level head. We both approach things very similar. Um, we both have a scientific approach to this. Um, and we both want to believe, but we're, we, we also can kind of, we also stop and go, okay, wait a minute. Was that what we actually thought it was? You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Um, right. Great. It's been a great process working with him and getting to know him and his family. And he'd try to say the same of me. We, yeah, we just really hit it off and it's become a really good friendship and, 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 you know, and, and working relationship as well. No, that's fantastic. Well, you can tell in uh, just the amount of work that you guys have been able to produce together. Uh, it's evident, right? Um, tell me a little bit about the, the, the case that you had for the episode, The Staircase. What, what <laughs> happened with that? The, yeah, the Staircase, that was interesting. Um, there was this couple that had purchased this this old home, a heritage home. And then they were basically upgrading it and, and fixing it up. But anyone who walked on the staircase from the main floor up would, would feel like they had something right behind them. Um, they picked up a presence in an upstairs room, uh, you know, and they just general like paranormal creepiness going on. And so we sure. were able to go in and it was weird because it, it was, it's literally a staircase. So we focused our attention on this staircase and set up, our motion detectors and, you know, some balls on it and did like a EVP session and a spirit box session. And I'm trying to think back, but we didn't really get nothing like, as it quite often happens, like with, it's, you can't investigate a place once and say whether or not it, it's haunted or not. You have to do it multiple right. times. We could only go there once. And all we got was like a, an EVP in the end mm -hmm. that Peter thought said Jason. And I didn't think it did. And it was, but it was just weird. It was just, all the activity was focused on like one staircase really in this house and maybe one <laughs> offshoot room. And how do you investigate that yeah. <laughs> sitting on the stairs and hoping something walks up and down and it knocks all over. Yeah. It, it's almost, it seems like a metaphor or something for this entire uh, phenomenon. <laughs> it, it totally was. It, it totally was. And it was a bit frustrating and it was, but it was also kind of fun. Um, and we had wired everything up. Like we had sound equipment to pick up even like a, you know, the faintest noise and we filmed from multiple angles and, we, you know, it's just, yeah, it was, a, it was one of our more unique adventures doing this. Um, I think a lot of people think when you investigate a place, it's always like a big creepy old mansion or an old asylum or all these buildings. That's what you see on TV always, right? Or this sure. house where the devil's supposed to reside, but sometimes it is just a staircase yeah. where people are having these experiences. I mean, listen, uh, you know, you can find a geo Metro, that's like uh, 35 years old at this point, right? Um, these things are going to be happening in more uh, <laughs> more <laughs> mundane, everyday locations, not old Victorians all the time, right? No, exactly. And I'd love to investigate a Geometro. Now that you bring it up, I think if there's ever one that's haunted, that'd be really cool. <laughs> uh, you know, those Domino's uh, pizza delivery drivers, they, uh, they, there's no rules on the road. I, uh, so it's very true. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, we were talking a little bit about the Pacific Northwest and, and the power it holds for us that live here. And I think for people that even visit, they get it. They, they understand the vibe, but one of the things that is most prominent here in the Pacific Northwest, something we're just generally known for is Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. What has been your experience with the Sasquatch phenomena? Well, I mean, right where I live, like, I mean, it, there's Sasquatch stories everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like Harrison Hot Springs, et cetera, up here in the interior, many of them. We've done our own, um, like some investigations as we want to believe. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I've not seen one. I've experienced on a few occasions that that feeling of intense dread that comes out of nowhere mm. that people talk about while in the woods or at a cabin in the woods, even as recently as a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's always the same kind of thing. Like it's, everything's fine. And then like all the hairs go up on the back of your neck and you just, you have, you're compelled to leave. Like you need to go uh, kind of things. And twice in my life, I've mm. actually listened to it <laughs> and just left and gone back. The most recent one, I was like, no, I'm not going. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up and just had the feeling that something was there with me. Um, oh my gosh. As, soon as the sun came up, I left. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quite terrifying. Um, we, we've investigated, we've, we have heard wood knocks, um, which I thought was pretty cool there. We went up to this remote lake and this fisherman or this hunter fisher fisherman uh, for 20 years, every time he's gone up to this lake and he's traveled to a certain part of it, he starts hearing the knocks and it ha it's happened to him pretty much every time he's gone up. And so we accompanied him one time. And as is the way, like there's myself and this, this guy, Mike, who's had these experience, another member of our crew, Marcus, and we're paddling across in the slowly sinking old boat <laughs> to get there. We're trying to get, listen to the knocks. Nothing's happening. We even go on ashore where this guy's never set foot here because the knocks have scared him off. Mm. Nothing. And we're like, of course there's nothing because we've actually come looking for it. Um, mm. As we're paddling back, my colleague, Sean, who there just wasn't enough room of us in the enough room in the boat for all of us to go. He's like, did you hear the knocks? And I'm like, no, no, that was us banging, trying to get a response. He's like, no, no, there were knocks over here. And he actually picked them up on his phone. <laughs> so it's like, if it was a squatch, it, it knew where we were going and it just went around to the other side of the lake. And it oh started my knocking. gosh. <laughs> Holy smokes, that's amazing. Well, yeah, you know, you you talk about this like sort of level of communication that exists out there. This just sort of, for many, just right out of reach, almost atmospheric sometimes. And you think about like um, what is happening there. Right. And what is interesting to me in those situations where the hair raises on the back of her neck and we're saying to ourselves, I don't know why, but at this very second, I just feel like I need to get out of here or something is here. I wonder if that is a message that is being sent to us or rather that is a message that we just can sense and we are picking that up like something more, you know, sort of primordial in us, right? Um, what, what do you what do you think? What do you think is going on there? Well, it's it's funny. Like I kind of lean towards both camps, right? I mean, if you believe, you know, people who have done like serious Bigfoot research, especially looking at the more paranormal aspect of it, believe that they can tell you when they want you to get out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they and they will do that and they will terrify people to get rid of them. Um, I think sometimes though it's like, you know, you just it's like that that feeling you know just something else is there. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not what you're used to. Right. But I mean, I've spent most of my life in the woods. Uh, and like I said, that's happened to me three times in my life, uh, you know, and quite often many years apart. So I, I think, you know, I, I lean towards that something was passing through and it just didn't want me there when it was there. Didn't want to be seen or experienced. Yeah. Um, and the previous two times was at a, at a lake called Shushwap Lake, uh, where my family had a cabin and I left. Uh, this last time I was at a place called Hefley Lake and I'd rented it and I wasn't leaving because I paid money to be there for a third <laughs> night. Uh, and, just, and no, I'm not like, I'm not going. But then, then I had that thing experience in the middle of the night where I woke up out of a de dead sleep and I'm in there and I just, you just feel it. You just know, yeah. you know, that something's there and it's not good. I just remember laying in bed. I'm like, I'm not moving. I'm not doing anything. And I just waited for the sun to come up. Well, Jason, the Airbnb review would have been really interesting if you had left. <laughs> that would have been good. But I've um, been to that place before, too, and never experienced anything there. It was just weird. It was weird, man. It's one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, say, listen, where can people find your work? What, what would you like people to take away from this conversation? Oh, if you want, like, I mean, to watch We Want to Believe, um, it's on YouTube. And you could just, like, search out the Paranormal Network. And you'll find the episodes there under its own playlist. We want to believe, and there's other content there that I that I'm a producer on and and, and showrunner on. Um, Canadian Paranormal Foundation. You can find us on on uh, Facebook. Um, and then if you want to find myself, you know, one of the best places is Instagram, Jay Hewlett seventy two, and you can track me down there. And of course, the books are available through Beyond the Fray Publishing and can be found on Amazon. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Jason. This was a great conversation, my friend. I had tons of fun, Jim. Thank you so much. Uh, anytime. It's been really enjoyable. Awesome, man. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. You can hear the show anytime on its podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Go to euphemet.com for more and join us next Sunday. But until then, keep looking up. Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.